Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Eat Sleep Supplies Retreat Podcast and Feed. Folks, it's Shane Scratchy, and by that I mean Ross McLeod can't be here today. But we present to you the Stingy and Battery Show. They bite and light and bite and bite and light. Uh, what's the point? The point is, it's ESSR Central. Ross isn't here, or the studio isn't here, but I'm here. I'm always here. I'm Scott McLeod. And joined by someone who's always seemingly here. Uh, the only other people to show up today. Uh, it's David Talkney. Hi, Dave. Hi, Scott. And you know what? This, I think this is the second time that we, there's only us two on an episode of Central immediately following pay per view that's been held in the UK. That is true. We also did the like the preview show for that one as well. Mind you, mm-hmm. Ross holiday at the time, so that was fair. Yeah. With the fallout from Clash at the Castle and now we've got uh, money in the bank to look over this time around. Yeah, I mean, unlike, sadly for you though, unlike Clash at the Castle, you didn't get to go to this one. Ah, uh, don't start. Like, prices were extortion at this time. Ah, well, I mean, nothing to frown about. We've got a, ven- a bigger, big show and a bigger venue that we're going to get to go to in a couple of months. Oh, yeah. so, or two. But anyway, we're talking about the big paper unique, that's our big story for the week uh, is Money in the Bank Live in London at the O2 Arena. And oh, more importantly for us here in the UK, it was on at a decent fucking time, as was the semester yeah. that preceded it. Oh, yeah, like, you would have could watch SmackDown at a normal time on BT Sport for a change, and to be honest, that's what just hyped me up for the the show to begin with, that was uh, exactly what you needed. Absolutely, I didn't waste my time with the uh, the pre-show, but I was over at Ross's, watching it, we got, I got to his a decent enough time before it, nice to settle in, yeah, food made a decent time, and uh, enjoy the show. And didn't even feel like that tired by the end of it, which is which makes a fucking change, as it were. <laughs> I think it's fair to say, Dave, across the SmackDown and on this show, the the UK crowd, you know, coming out in their droves, showcasing the you know, the style of chance, you know, much like Puerto Rico and Canada before them, showing even Saudi Arabia has been putting the US crowds to shame. So the crowd yeah. who go 
board feel for SummerSlam. I've got a lot to live up to. Uh, yeah, they have massive, massive shoes to fill. Like, because WWE's proved anything in the 2023 calendar year, it's that the best audience is always an international audience. Puerto Rico is a bit of a stretch because it's technically a, a United States territory, per se, but it is its own country, sort of. Uh, yeah, go to a different country and um, you're guaranteed to get uh, an amazing crowd and you know, as we've seen with British crowds at Clash at the Castle and NXT TakeOver London, you know you're going to have a, a huge selection of diehard fans, you know, who are meant to be, you know, as loud and... Well, as Michael Cole said on commentary at one point, he even called us obnoxious at one point. <laughs> I'm not sure that's the right word, given that, you know, with John Cena surprising everybody and essentially justifying our reactions in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, and W themselves have been very justified because both the Smith, for SmackDown and for my event, they put up compilation videos of the best chants from mm. both shows, which is mostly stuff to do with people chatting along for LA night. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And basically singing the Hey Bailey song across both nights. Uh, and Bailey basically looking around you know, as a heel now, basically being annoyed at everybody for how dare you chant for me. So being a proper heel is barely try to be one of these cool heels. I can appreciate that. Yeah. I remember when we reviewed Clash at the Castle, it was, um, we did that chant when we were, we were out there. And, you know, I have a response when we reviewed and looked back on it. It's that, you know, her character is hating it. But I think deep down, just like, <laughs> just like, don't stop being, you know, UK fans, you know, just at least, at least they're consistent with that chant as well. Yeah, it is funny given how much has changed with damage control since the last UK pay per view, given that they were that was their first major one uh, on that show, and then you come all this way and it seems like they're falling apart. But we'll get to that on the when we talk about the women's money in the bank. We're going to start with the men's money in the bank ladder match. Mm-hmm. Hell. Okay, I mean, starting off one of the Money in the Bank ladder match is always a good way to start off the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. A fun fact here, like, since they started doing a women's one in 2017, this is the first time that the men's one has gone on before the women's Money in the Bank. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I'm wondering if this is the case of maybe they knew that, well, people liked the person who won. It wasn't who everyone wanted to win, so maybe get the potential disappointment out of the way first. Or yeah, they're just trying to put more of a spotlight on the women, have them on later on the show, because they did the men's, men's Royal Rumble on first, which I remember all at the time quite you know, intrigued about when they when they made that decision. But hell, hell of a match, a lot of spots. For me, it took a lot of while to get going, and then they started putting the spots together, some of them looking a bit more choreographed than others. But I think the one that caught everyone's attention, not for the right reasons, is uh, Logan Paul and Ricochet. Oh God! One one of the more wincing, wince-inducing spots in my event history, I'll say. Yeah, it didn't go smoothly that spot because I think they were both. I think they were supposed to both land on the top rope, like feet first, and then Ricochet hits the Spanish fly. But I don't know if Logan or both of them lost lost their footing, and they basically had to make it up on the fly. It just looked really sloppy. But then again, that was quite a 
quite a tricky spot to pull off to begin with. And Morgan, as good as he is in the ring, you know, he's he's still got a lot of inexperience under his belt, and you know, it would it would have taken some proper coordination to pull off a Spanish fly to the tables on the outside. And I'm glad neither of them were seriously injured. I think Logan got a cut in his shoulder, which I think was shown backstage at the end of it. But you know, he wasn't afraid to take big spots. Uh, you know, he. He jumped off the apron, did a splash to Priest, who was on a bridge ladder. And I don't know if you noticed this on the live show, but somebody threw a bottle of wine uh, from the audience just as Logan finished the spot. It was KSI. It turns out that was KSI that did that because he was uh, filming himself in the audience and was posted on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I, I seen that on Twitter afterwards. It was KSI. I think me and Ross were watching some of the replays back, and it does look like Ricochet shares a quite a bit of the blame for this as well because he, like, he struggles to catch himself as well. He's on the outside of the ropes. Logan's on the inside. He, it seems like Ricochet basically goes, fuck it, we need to do this now. He kind of pulls Logan over, even mm-hmm. though Logan get the full rotation. And You see on the like, the angle that they show, like, it shows where it's like above them, you actually see, I think, part of Logan's head hit the table that didn't break, which yeah. could have been nasty like for a potential concussion, at least the uh, but I think Logan wouldn't have done, wouldn't be in injury if he didn't know the risk of injury. Like we saw the reports of him injuring his knee after the Roman Reigns match, but still finishing it and being able to come back in time to do the Royal Rumble. So he's clearly yeah. he's he's, al- he's almost a Cena-esque person, and like the way he's able to come back from these injuries. Yeah, he's done good spots before. You know, he's done frog splash to the announce table. One of which he was holding his. Uh, his phone and was recording himself. That was the one inside. But it goes to show he's not afraid to take big risks, you know, those the, the high flying spots, the leaps over the top rope. He's capable of doing all that. That was just unfortunate because, as I said, it was quite a quite a tricky spot to pull off. And, you know, I don't think anybody was to blame for that. It was it was just one uh miss misstep, as it were, and those ropes are that thick anyway so it's I, I wouldn't put it past them I think it was just um, quite a convoluted spot and it was ambitious but rubbishly executed uh, I think they should have either went for a special eye from just the ropes or just have them fall to the line have them do the Matt Hardy Bubba Ray spot from like yeah because that's what I thought that, they were going to do better. And it's the first time I think I've seen tables in a Money in the Bank match as far as I'm aware but yeah. wasn't the announce table. Yeah, I was going to say, outside of the announce table, yeah, they don't do it. Because like, I think the most notable announce table spot from what I can remember is like Kofi put McIntyre through it and the mm-hmm. first bank. Uh, other than that, 2010, yeah. Yeah, other than that, if you want to put someone through, usually it's another ladder that they go through, which they do every so often. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think it was a bit convoluted. But I think they're going to turn this into an angle because they're advertising a face-to-face with Ricochet and Logan Paul <laughs> next week mm-hmm. on Raw. So they started something with them at the Rumble in that one spot that everyone was talking about, and then this. So clearly they're trying to they're trying to build something out of this as Logan try to challenge Ricochet for the flippiest man on on WWE. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing. We're talking about Logan. We're talking about Priest. We're talking about LA Knight. But we've had it and Ricochet to an extent, but everybody else just sort of felt like felt like they didn't even need to be there. You know, they were just sort of bodies to fill the quota. A little bit because all the discussion was around the spots that these guys took, and Ellie and I obviously being the clear favourite with the crowd, etc. And 
you know, Butch got his hometown pop, which I suppose that was everything he got out of that. And then Priest obviously being the surprise winner. I don't know if it was as much a surprise. I think for a lot of people, it was a toss up, me included. It was a toss up. There were reports that both of them were considered favourites amongst uh, the backstage decision makers. Uh, Triple H did say, as much as he liked Logan Paul, he would, it came out that he didn't really want to have Logan win the match because I think the whole point of having a new world title is having a champion who's around while the other one isn't around so much. So yeah. having a part time Logan Paul wouldn't make as much sense. But I did feel bad for Santos Escobar. You're talking people making up the numbers. They had Butch getting hometown pop. I learned some of the other guys getting their big big reaction. Like people sang along with Nakamura. Santos Escobar's music hits. Fucking crickets. Like you, yeah. can't even, you can't even have them come out with a Viva La Rasa because even though people know it's not Eddie, the initial Viva La Rasa gets a pop. You know, it's like Natalia with the opening chord of Bret Hart's theme song because people, it tricks people into forgetting that Natalia's coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's bad for Escobar, definitely, because, I mean, he's no stranger to ladder matches like when he faced Gordon Devlin in that Cruiserweight title unification match back on the Black and Gold NXT. Like, he was, he outshone in that match, for sure, but in this case, he was just, uh, he just felt like another face in the crowd, which is a shame, really, because we've seen how well he can perform in, in ladder matches, but... If, we're talk, if I'm going to Damien Priest for a second, you know, we talked about, you know, it was a bit of a toss-up between him, LA Knight, Logan Paul was thrown into the mix a bit. But I get why people were upset that Priest won it, because I think everybody put their eggs in the LA Knight musket, and they thought, if he's that popular, surely they're going to have to strap the rocket to his back. And we discussed this on Saturday Draft Live as well, which will... Uh, tally up the, the scoring from given the, the fallout definitely some highs and lows from that but the priest decision was taken aback by it for about five minutes but then immediately afterwards and I thought to myself you know what I'm actually going to go with this because further investment in the judgment day as a whole and as what we saw from Raw etc it looks like they're you know, teasing some dissension in the ranks between him and Balor. And it's a storyline to work with on Raw, whilst obviously the other money in the bank contract goes to SmackDown, because nobody, like, if somebody from the SmackDown side won the money in the bank match, can we realistically say, you know, they're going to they're gonna have cash in on Roman while he's got such a hotly contested feud with the bloodline at the minute? Yeah, you can't have Roman's, like, title reign end via... Cash in, whether or, not, right, whether or not they announce it ahead of the time or not. Uh, and I get people being annoyed about it. I was more annoyed because we did the sweep and I it was so 50-50 that I ended up going for LA night and then regretted it after what happened. But then mm-hmm. again, I think you didn't get as much of a negative in the arena, I don't think, uh, as it may have been with somebody else because I think everybody also... There were enough people in there who also kind of figured Priest as a contender as well, and it was good for him in that mm-hmm. the, like, he's being used with both members or both winners for the reason that it should to help, like you said, strap the rocket to somebody and you know take a chance on somebody. Like both of them haven't held a major like world title. I mean, Priest was US champion, but he didn't really do much for it during that reign. Where yeah. Io, while she had a great women's title reign in NXT. He's been mostly a tag player in 
in WWE's main roster. So, and plus with um, both players, they went for the one that will factor more into things with storyline wise because Priest's journey to potentially like cashing in will definitely have ramifications for the Judgment Day, and obviously, mm-hmm. you'll you'll be challenging Asuka and Bailey potentially being jealous about it means a lot storyline wise for damage control. So. I think it's a case of thinking more long term with both money in the bank winners, which you gotta applaud the for doing. Yeah, and you know, not proving to fans chanting or demands, etc. Knowing that they had a plan in motion, and that's I think that's pretty bold on WWE's part. But I remember watching the match. Early night literally had to, you know, the like it had pushed in, and all you had to do was lift it up, and that was it. I thought that's it, he's got it. But then. Priest comes out of nowhere, snatches it, and he's just like, no, <laughs> many swipes it. It was oh, definitely a, a shocking way to start the night. But as as it sunk in, it's more like, okay, fair enough. Let let's roll with it. Well, let's let's move to the other money in the bank just now with the Tommy Eo Sky won the match, and it seems like they were teasing like her versus Asuka already, like because when they had. Ask on the Grayson Waller fight the week before she switched over to the new women's belt. They had the confrontation between her and Asuka in, in Japanese. It's a fresh matchup for both of them in WWE. And obviously, I think a lot of people were kind of like, I mean, they feel like there were more contenders in this one than there were the men's one because it could have been Becky, it could have been Bailey to start screwing over Yosuke, it could have been Io herself. And hell, it could have even been bold. And I know David Campbell would whole world would fairly be making mm-hmm. if they went bold and made Trish Stratus win it. So it felt like there were more contenders. But here I think they had one of the more inventive win finishes in Money in the Bank history with the, the handcuff spot. Spot. I think I posted it in the chat. All I said was given how fitting Eo was being the winner of that match, I said in all caps in the chat, bloody genius. Like because obviously Becky still had the handcuffs attached to her from the spot with Trish and Zoe. And I could see what they were trying to do. I think the original plan was to cover to the ropes, but obviously she breaks out and then Eo just takes advantage of uh, of the scenario. And literally, because handcuffing to another person through the ladder means, you know, your arm's stuck and you can't climb. That's just, well, it was so perfect. I think it probably... The only other time I've seen a creative finish like that was uh, Extreme Rules 2009. I think Jeff Hardy actually pulled Edge through the ladder. So that is, um, so it's like his upper torso and his arms were hanging out like above the ladder while his legs were sort of dragged through, but he couldn't touch the floor. So he was basically trapped within the ladder. And then Jeff just climbed up the other side and grabbed the title. That's what that spot reminded me of. And it was, it was just such a unique way to capitalize on like a spot that originally like a heelish spot earlier that could have happened and you know just using it to your own advantage it was such a such a clever finish I mean Jeff had a few of those spots I mean, you remember uh, I think it was 2020 Clash of Champions where it was a three way ladder match for the IC belt and I think Sammy handcuffed him like his earlobe like because of these weird earrings oh yeah, yes the ladder so there was no way for him to get out without doing serious damage to his ear. Without Mike Tyson and his own ear. Pretty much. So, <laughs> I think this match actually had bigger spots in it as well. 
like for some reason or another, I think I actually enjoyed this match a lot more than I did the men's match, which I'm, I can't really put my finger on it, but there were two spots that stood out to me aside from the, the finish with the handcuffs, and that was EO doing the moonsault off the top of the ladder onto everybody, which was outstanding. But I think a really underrated spot as well was Zelina doing the, the code red to Zoe Stark. Yeah. Uh, because not only the bounce off the bridge ladder looked effective, but I don't know if you saw it, I think her, Zoe's head was sort of, it sort of fell through two of the rungs. And when she bounced back up, it looked like she had like caught her head in one of the rungs and it looked bloody painful. But um, yeah, it was, it was almost like a repeat of the, the Balaran Drade spot from 2019. And yeah. that just, that bounce alone just made it look so painful. I mean, well, I mean, no, wait, sorry, it was 2018, I think, that match was. No, I think it was the 2019 one. I'm pretty sure they were in the one that had Brock run out at the end. So no, I yeah. Was... Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was uh, the Braun Brock one. Well, I liked about that spot, because I thought they were going to do a similar spot in the men's one, like Zeta Bridge after like, San Jose was going to do like the Phantom Driver on the ladder, but he ended up doing it like off the ladder, or, or there was something along those lines. But... Mm. But for this one, like when when she does it, it's kind of the code red flip that she does, and the like. Of course, there's a shout out to her cousin who invented that move, which is a reference to former TNX division champion Amazing Red. Mm-hmm. So thought he to your Michael Cole basically represented. He didn't say say him by name, but I think if you know yeah. that little bit detail about Selena Vega, then you know who, who's a reference to. But I think you said it does have a fair few like spots. Because I don't think as many of the spots looked as like as clearly being set up as they did in the men's, but I think the mm-hmm. fact that the dissension between Bailey and EO, which played out when Bailey pushed EO off the ladder, which I thought was going to be the finish, and Bailey was going to be like you know first ever two time money in the bank winner, but he also had Zoe and Trish working together to take out mm-hmm. Becky. So like, case of, even if one of us doesn't win, we just don't want Becky to win because there was a point where Zoe started could have. Won it, but then she kind of looked at Trish and went, On you go, like, who's there to like, help Trish win it? And it was like for the majority of it, I think Trish and Zoe didn't really care about the the briefcase or climbing the ladder. It was more to essentially put Becky down for good. And I suppose it was keeping in well with the, the story, etc. And Zoe wasn't going to break off from Trish at any point, I don't think. I think the closest she got was the aforementioned spot with Zelina at the top of the ladder. But, um, yeah, I mean, fair play to Trish, you know, for competing in a ladder match, you know, when she's she's spent, like, the last 10 years as a Hall of Famer, and, you know, she's in her late 40s as well. It's impressive that she could still go, and did she not do, like, a, a stratosphere spot, like, using the ladder as well? I think she did, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember we talked a few weeks ago about the, the comparison between Trish and Lita, now that they're, you know, what, 10 to 15 years past their past their peak. It's Trish has definitely demonstrated that, you know, 37 years old, she can still go, uh, albeit not to the, the extent of a full-time performer, but when she wants to pull out big spots and work with the younger talent, she does an amazing job of it. Anyway, but like we said, it was Eo in the end who, who took down the briefcase, so definitely 
you had to keep an eye on, on what happens on SmackDown over the next couple of weeks. I've got a lot of work. No, I was, I was just going to say, uh, she was the, the fans' favourite to win, I think. And I suppose one out of two ain't bad. Yeah, definitely. And you know, I think like, they both have ladder match experience, the two winners in like, NXT. They're pretty sure mm-hmm. it was like, like Eos least one of our big, like, no one contenders match for the women's sale, which led to a series event, which led to the triple threat at TakeOver in your house, where she won the women's title in NXT. And mm. Damien big win in, in NXT was winning the North American title in a ladder match so yeah. so she won the, the War Games advantage match one year which was a ladder match against Mia Yim yeah but I'm pretty sure because like Kaylee Ray got involved because this is back when he was well, yeah but once he won in a ladder match yeah, yeah, yeah I'm just trying to remember the one that no, that was the one yeah Kaylee, Kaylee Ray helped her out yeah so there's a lot I say about the, the main event so I'll quickly talk about the undercard here we got Gunther retaining over Matt Riddle we had Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez becoming the new women's tag team champions after Shayna shockingly turns on Ronda Cody that was a genuine shock by the way Shayna turning on Ronda Cody quite convincingly beats Dominic Mysterio or Dirty Dom as he's now being called and Seth Rollins (laughs) Damien Priest being lurking around the outside uh, defeats Finn Balor at, to, for his big first, for for his first pay per view defense of the World Heavyweight Championship. There are those four matches I've talked about. I know that we're going to talk about one of them because of a post match angle. But mm-hmm. is there anything else that you want to talk about from that undercard? Um, all I can say is I think the Shayna turn on Ronda definitely took everybody by surprise because nobody saw it coming, and. So you thought this would have just been a, a throwaway title retention for Rousey and Shayna, given that you know they, they literally just unified the titles not that long ago. But post Money in the Bank, it actually started to make a lot of sense because apparently Rousey is planning to finish up with WWE post SummerSlam, and I think they're just trying to get a a feud between the two of them. You know, Shayna gets back to being a dominant self and writes Ronda off completely, but. Yeah, I was worried this was just going to be the piss break match for me after what was a pretty mental ladder match to kick things off. But I'm so glad I was still in my chair when that when that turn happened. It was I was taken completely taken back by it. Yeah, I think the fact that it happened during the match rather than a post match. Mm. I think you can always sense what's up going to happen when the camera lingers on two people, especially the two people who lost like after a match. But the fact that that annoyed look at her face when Ronda tags herself in and then she attacks Ronda. Mm-hmm. The challengers despite being good guys, kinda of looking kinda of confused for a second and then be like, I oh, don't like them anyway, so they take mm-hmm. it back. Uh, and get the win. I think the one benefit to this is you know they recently did the unification match, which means I'm assuming these belts can be defended in NXT again. So I assume so, yeah. Which I is think that's been the case with I think that's always been the case with the women's Tag team championships as well that can be defended across any of the three brands. Yeah, but I think since they are just NXT exclusive versions of those belts, then mm. they need to do that. But now that they've unified, I think they'll go back to going to NXT, which is good for Liv and Raquel because there'd actually be some jeopardy if they got a good enough convincing a team in NXT. Whereas it doesn't matter who the fuck you put in front of them, if Ronda and Shayna went down to NXT. That was more than a foregone conclusion. You can bet your house on who was going to win that one. 
Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, there's going to be some people out there who ditched the house on London Shana winning that match. Right. It's weird. It's weird because I feel like they wanted to do this for a while, uh, but then Ronda got hurt before WrestleMania, so did the bare minimum that women's showcase match, then had to go away again until she was fully healed, come back, win the vacant tag titles, rush through the reunification to do this. So I feel like Ronda's injury put stop to some plans they wanted to do over a longer period with these women's belts to then lead up to her or leaving with Shayna. So if, if it looks like if she is winning, if she is leaving, sorry, then it's a case of they're rushing through the plans that they did have for her and you'd assume mm-hmm. that the match they'll have a match there so with Shayna winning Verona goes out on her back uh, you know, losing to her friend to kind of use this momentum to maybe even challenge Rhea Ripley for the title It's that if I'm being honest you know, uh, it could be the signal for a face run for Shayna but not like you know white meat baby face type run you know just Proper dominant badass who's, you know, fighting her own battles, but people people respect, you know, her motivation, etc. You know, she they, you know, she'll be she'll be here with a, you know, an understandable, relatable goal. Because mm-hmm. I think her and even though Rhea's part of a heel group, like Rhea is still here as well. So I think it'd be a case of two tweeners going in there. And mm-hmm. yeah, really, everyone loves Mammy. It's a, it's a good story, especially if Triple H is no overseeing it, because if you remember, despite you know being the first ever XT UK Women's Champion, the real beginning of the rise of Rhea Ripley was when she confronted the then dominant, like multi-month, like reigning champion Ada <laughs> Baszler. So, and then beating her, having the War Games match against each other, like with a different two different teams. So, basically, Shayna could come in and say like everything that you have, you owe to me, and I'm coming mm-hmm. to like taking that belt. Mm-hmm. Long-term storytelling. I like it. I like it. Because like I'm looking at the few things I can see for SummerSlam coming out of Money in the Bank. One thing I can't see is what Rhea's gonna do because she once again convincingly beat uh, Natalia on Raw. So Mercat Mercat and say points like, for me. Looking for Natalia for God's sake. Like I mean, yes, Natty's got six Guinness World Records this week, but it's everybody's talking about Mammy now. Uh, you got you got that in the women's division you'll probably have the Shayna Ronda match like we said Trish Becky will probably have their blow off there with Becky getting the win this time and then you got to think they're going to do like some sort of triple threat with Asuka Bianca and Charlotte mm-hmm. you can't yeah have, I think that's a given you can't not have the newly because like you've developed you've you've you know come up with this new women's world belt fair enough she didn't defend it on my back but she was there standing in Dom's corner so you got to eventually put this belt on, on pay-per-view. I think the Cody Dom match felt like a bit of a throwaway. You know, no major angle came out of it. It was just a sort of like an exhibition match a little bit. But I think it was put on the card largely to gauge the um, the fan reaction for it. And just, get yeah, uh, I mean, the people singing along word for word, Kingdom, the song... I think it certainly is on par, if not better, than uh, everyone singing Metalingus at Flash at the Castle. But then again, it was a smaller arena and you know, a lot more diehard fans in, in such an enclosed space. It was easier to go along with it. So, uh, yeah, actually, looking back on it, I think the two singing Kingdom was better than 
uh, Principality singing Metalingus. I mean, considering it wasn't just about the the woe moment, it was they were singing it like word. He said word for word, and then that carried over when they went back to the states for Raw. They were singing, they were singing again. So hopefully this continues. Unlike mm. like the thing was only a one night thing, and Edge was even like, "I can't believe it's taking this song coming over the UK to finally have a sing along." You know, for that. But do you know what's even funnier? Over the second line of the first verse. If everybody didn't sing like every thought out of control, keeps if everybody just went something something Cody Rhodes, like that would have just been just I've, keep people on crowd. I've seen people videos on Twitter, people filming in the crowd as Cody's coming out, and you can hear some people around them saying something something Cody Rhodes. <laughs> Clearly, they were being, right. drowned, they were being drowned out by the nerds who insist on singing it properly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to admit, I think Dom got the most heelish reaction of the night. I think that actually went to Roman. Oh, yeah, we'll come to Roman in a minute. But I think, as I say, Rhea, I, don't, I think she's got big plans coming out of SummerSlam. I don't know who she'll fight at SummerSlam. I mean, they've been teasing her and Becky like crazy, so I think Becky is definitely possible. I wouldn't say no to Rhea versus, versus Shayna. And you say about this, this Dom match that there was no major angle, well... I was on. I was looking at some stuff before this show, and also we had two other major appearances like Drew and John Cena. And according to Worked Wrestling, for what I've seen, there wasn't at one point a plan to have Brock come out after this match to attack Cody, mm-hmm. but then they scrapped it and moved it to Raw because they felt like Brock's appearance would be diminished given that they already had two other big crowd popping surprises with Cena and mm-hmm. and Drew. Andrew. So instead of overloading the show. They moved it to Raw because, like, you had Cody interrupting Rollins, despite the fact he said in the post uh, Money Back press conference, winning the world title would not count as finishing the story. Uh, and before you can even say it, said Brock's music hits, which gets an equal fucking pop because those mm-hmm. people weren't in it. So I think yeah. it was. We predicted that Brock was going to get in, once again get involved with Cody, whether it be in the match or on Raw. This is never leading towards the possibility that it could happen match with Dom getting an upset victory, but I don't think anybody was expecting to see uh, like Drew return at that point, let alone John Cena popping up randomly. Yeah, I, the Drew one was definitely a surprise. I think I'll remember that more than the actual Riddle match. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I got a hell of a pop for Drew. So you haven't seen him since WrestleMania. 39, where he, he ironically did lose to Gunther in that triple threat. And I got to admit, I, was, I didn't actually go like, oh, fuck, Drew's here. And then I went like, oh, no, no, no. Because like, mm-hmm. in order to break Conky's record, Gunther has to hold the belt past SummerSlam. Past SummerSlam, yeah. It's to go get, get to like the 6th of September is the date where you'll cross the, the threshold. Uh, but I can't see... I just can't see a world where Drew comes back, has the match at SummerSlam and loses because you guys think they promised him quite a bit to get him to re-sign if the rumours about his feelings and his unhappiness about his contract were to be believed because, you know, they made sure to get him here because also I'm sure they didn't, if AEW got the chance they would try and get him up in time for Wembley. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. If he's a free agent come I'm all in. AEW will probably do everything in their power to try and scoop him up for the big Wembley show. But 
Timothy Riddle was the shortest match on the card at 7 minutes 45 seconds. It was even shorter than Cody Dunn. But it did feel like, you know, it was just another successful defence for Gunther. But the big programme now is he's going to be feuding with Drew going to SummerSlam. Oh, we'll have to, have to wait and see what happens to that. But the longest match on the show by far, it went 32 minutes and 10 seconds. But honestly, I loved every single moment of it. I mm-hmm. honestly, honestly think Money the Bank 2023 is a show of the year contender. And I think in large part is due to this. You want to talk about storyline. This is a storyline-driven match at its finest. With the Usos coming out uh, with the fans singing along their theme song as well. And they took their time in this match. Roman definitely got a lot more involved. Like there was a point where Solo gets to go, goes to get involved, and Roman just goes no, and just like tails him off and tags himself <laughs> in. You see Roman sitting on the apron, getting annoyed at the UK fans all chatting, stand up. If you hate Roman, <laughs> if you hate Roman, stand up. If you hate Roman, stand up. And uh, oh, tribal ranker. That was a, that was heard a few times as well. Yeah, you see, you can hear him on the mic camera catches him saying, England's full of bunch of idiots. <laughs> yeah, and you could tell the, the crowd was at its at its peak, you know, just throwing the uh, the hate chants towards Roman and almost felt like uh, Zach Gibson esque a little bit, you know, if you hate Gibson shoes. Like, uh, no, that's what they should have done. They should have done the shoes off if you hate Roman chant. Oh. <laughs> I think there were some people in here too with their shoe, shoes off, but I wouldn't want to sit next to one. But there were like all sorts of like little moments of this match that kept you the drama. You know, you had this the combination spike spear spot, and then that the kick painful. The, the kick out, given like nobody kicks out of the Samoan spike, let alone one with a spear. You had the one D uh. wasn't that enough. You had the the recreation of the spot from. Uh, Clash of Champions 2020. This time, Jimmy picks out yeah. and does the low the blow. Stack, the, the stack and smash as well. The stack and smash. This time, they both kick out. One of them uh-huh. gets caught in the guillotine as well, which Roman doesn't do as often, but you can tell he always pulls out when he's getting desperate. Even um, Jimmy, I think Jimmy sort of powered out of it. Almost yeah. uh, reminiscent of the Hell in the Cell ending in 2020. But the most like, important, it was all the key spots from you know the the early stages of the bloodline. You know Roman obviously winning the WrestleMania with the stack, the stacked pin, Jimmy breaking out the guillotine, uh, Jay just being a full on machine eating the spike spear, still kicking out, and as you mentioned, you know the the low blow kick out as well. Yeah, it was most- just like the bloodline's greatest hits. The most important thing of all is the ending. For the first time in three and a half years, for the first time since December 15th, 2019, to be exact, when he lost, when he lost to King Corbin. So almost as this thing is, it's been as long as it's been like almost, it's been so long, it's like longer than his universal title. That's how long it's been. Roman Reigns has been pinned clean. Center of the ring by Jey Uso. Mm-hmm. Oh. Just like it was 10 years ago when Roman Reigns ate his first pinfall in WWE with the hands of Jey Uso in a six man tag match. Like, 
Und Waffel. I mean, and now we've got the announcement, Tribal Court, the trail of the of Roman Reigns this Friday on SmackDown Live from Madison Square. Mm. And I got it, you gotta believe this is the combination of the side it's gonna be the announcement that it's Jey Uso versus Roman at SummerSlam for the title. And you know what? Mm-hmm. People were sad, Cody didn't win at Mania. Somehow, some way, I don't know who will hold it going into Mania, but Cody can win it at Mania. I don't care what anyone says. Put the belt on Jay. Give Jay a couple of months, maybe. Let Jay hold the belt. Let him be the head of the table. Because that will go back to 2020 as well, because there was a promo, one of the first proper pros on his own that Jay cut. That same promo where he said, notice people say when they see me, they say, which one are you? Because he says to Roman, Roman declares himself the head of the table. He goes like, why can't it be me? Why can't I be the one who provides? Why can't I be the one that's the head of the table? And so basically, mm-hmm. it's going into sort of like, why can't it be Jay? You know, what symmetry that would be? The first person that, that Roman beat on pay-per-view to retain the title and the last person he defends against. When I said this last week, and I'll say it again. Yes, give me the match, because the storyline is there. But I'm very reluctant to pull the trigger on J-Beam 1. Because, sure, it was, it was a great moment for the Usos to um, get the win over Roman and Solo. Because it sets up the, the Universal title match perfectly. Well, are they going to go with the full-on title change? I don't think so. I think Roman needs to hold it all the way till Mania. And if they're going to end the bloodline in significant fashion, I think he needs to put the radio source for good. You know, like, do what he said he was going to do, or do what Paul Heyman said he was going to do. It was going to be not PG, it was going to be brutal. He's going to wipe them out of WWE altogether. I think it has, that has to happen with SummerSlam. See, I disagree, because like you want this end, the story to end. It needs to end with Roman getting put in his place by by his brothers, you know, by his cousins getting put in his place by them, you know, get his comeuppance in the end. Because if the Usos, you know, go, they're all this to leave Roman behind and end up losing in the end. It, it just it makes you wonder where the fuck do they go from here? Because there's so many ways you can do it. Because you got to think where solo factors into all of this. Like where will Solo because Solo chose to stand beside Roman, and Roman's the one that lost. Because yes, yeah, Solo got pinned at Clash of Champions, but he got all sorts of fucking super kicks by the Usos beforehand. And then got Sammy and Kyo's finisher. You know he stepped up when the Usos got pinned, almost got pinned at Clash at Backlash. He stepped up, did his part when Roman got pinned, and that's gonna be what the Usos say to him. Like, come on, you chose to follow this guy. He's the one who lost that match for you. Mind the bank. Hell, it could even be the case. Solo cost, maybe, cost Roman the maybe, thing. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe they could be teasing a solo turn as well. Where it just takes him a bit longer to bring him under the side of the Usos again. But yeah. I think in a way, it needs to be done in such a way that it makes Solo like a solid single star. And I'm wondering if, if Roman does get the win over Jerry, if, we are, if that's the way they're going. I'm wondering if it's going to be a repeat of what happened at Royal Rumble this year. You know, 
Brutus are on the verge of, you know, getting wiped out. Solo's just watching this happen and then something clicks and he's like, nah, nah, it was still my brothers. You know, you've proven yourself enough's enough. Roman doesn't stop and then Solo spikes him out of nowhere. Kind of like what Sammy did with the, the Kevin Owens scenario at the end. And look how much, like, how much, how big of a reaction that got as well. I mean, who's to say they can't do something similar with Solo? You had that moment on SmackDown where they also said, like, you know, we don't follow you, you know, but we would follow Solo as the tribal chief. And Roman laughs at the idea of them. Solo kind of just stares at him and Roman, Roman just stops. So he's basically realizing mm-hmm. that Solo would actually consider it. And, you know, a, a feud between Roman and Solo is definitely what they're building to. I don't know how, whether or not it needs the title to have that kind of feud because you've got the perfect. Uh, motivation for Solo in terms of he can have that promo where he says to Rowan, like, think about it, Clash at the Castle, WrestleMania 39. How many times would you have lost that belt if it wasn't for me? You know, how would you have mm-hmm. got a thousand days if it wasn't for me? Well, like, it all makes sense, you know. I think they'll have to learn more once they've done the, um, the tribal court because I think there's going to be more to it. Yeah. So, looking ahead, though, even further to SummerSlam, look at the matches that it seemed like we could get from here. Jay, Roman, Gunther, Drew, Becky, Trish, to the triple threat for Asuka's like, women's title. Mm. You know, I don't even know what to think uh, well. Cody versus Brock 3, which rumours are might be a Texas bull rope match. Hard <laughs> times. Hard times. Which apparently, uh, supposedly... The initial idea was a dog colour match, but Brock has said, nope, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to look like village slaves on the biggest show of the year, or second biggest of the year. you got to imagine Cody had an input for the dog collar because, you know, calling back to his infamous match with, uh, with Brody Lee back at AEW. Yeah. AEW wanting to do dog collar matches. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like they've, they're into, like, or maybe some of the performers would do that sort of thing, but I digress. I mean, if you want to bring back the dog collar match to Derry, it's got to be Rhea Ripley involved in there somehow, but that's not... That's not <laughs> she has it round <laughs> Dom Dom's neck. Typical Saturday for her. We go to <laughs> a big moment from Money in the Bank, uh, where just out of nowhere, you know, nothing's happening, and I've got this played, and John Cena's music kits. Oh. Which, I mean... We got the reaction, it fucking did it because, like, no rumours, no teases, announcements, nothing about John even being in the vicinity of the O2 or even be a possibility of showing up at Money of the Bank. But out it comes. People aren't even chatting John Cena, they're singing My Time Is Now. And I thought, I said in the chat, and I said to us as we were watching it, oh, that's not good. I wonder if he's here to apologise for how shit that Mania match with Theory was. He <laughs> does. He does a hell of a lot better this time. Yeah. I mean, Grayson Waller did interrupt him. I'm thinking, if you want to do that feud better, do it with, do it with bloody Grayson Waller because Grayson Waller does the old selfie gimmick that Siri used to do a hell of a lot more convincingly than Austin Siri ever did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Grayson's obviously, he's dynamite on the mic. And we've said, you know, he's going to be a... Uh, a commodity for SmackDown, but Theory's definitely just been sort of lost in the shuffle a little bit, especially with a pretty lackluster match with Ridge Holland the night before. 
I mean, he's held that belt since November, by the way. He's one of the longest reigns right now in the company. Obviously, nowhere near Rome, but he's got one of the longest reigns currently in the company. And yet, it's one of the most unremarkable things happening in WWE right now. Half the time, mm-hmm. I forget the champion, if I'm honest. I'm starting to miss his selfie gimmick. <laughs> well, let's not go that far, but I liked Reese Waller being able to the fact he looked healthy enough to take a bump because word was from his own mouth that he, he injured his leg during the match, during his final XT match with Carmelo Hayes, which is why he's just been, he's not really been getting physical during his Grayson Waller segment because he physically couldn't because of his injury. Nah. So if he's get, taken an AA off Cena, then he's clearly cleared enough to, to do something. So here's to see Grayson mm-hmm. in the ring very soon. But Cena was here to really just rile up the UK crowd and then said the thing that's getting everyone a buzz he believes that WrestleMania should come to London. Yes, just get happened. Uh, right, as soon as he said that, I was out my seat, flapping like a maniac. I don't know what it was, but I think it's just the prospect of you know people want WrestleMania to come to London. You know, it's been it's been a, a rumor that's been going around social media for some years now, and every year we say like. Let's have it in London. Let's have it in London. And to hear it from, you know, John Cena's mouth of all people, it's it just made that little bit almost a reality when he, when hearing that. When he's, was the closest thing he could have said that aside from, oh, WrestleMania 31 is going to be held at Wembley Stadium. But it did raise another question for me because... That made me think they've been paying attention to what AEW's been doing with all in at Wembley this year. And I'm wondering, maybe they've used AEW as a, a sort of unofficial litmus test to see what the demand for an, a stadium show in London would be like, especially when the size of Wembley Stadium. And with AEW sold, selling like, what, 70,000 tickets already with no matches announced. The demand is going to be there, not just from the British crowd, but from other nearby European countries who would, you know, go on like a two or three hour flight or something to one of the biggest, you know, tourist hubs in the world to see WrestleMania. It's better. I mean, it's certainly a lot cheaper than flying across the Atlantic. You know, all you'd have to do is just fly to England from a European country and then you could have so much more representation so I think there definitely is potential for Mania at Wembley but I think we've took some ideas off of AEW to see if there was demand for it I honestly don't care if they did if I'm honest because you see when WWE books something or AEW books something like oh I really did that because the other company is doing this like good mm. it's like are you going to benefit as a fan yeah well who cares why you it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's for the fans yeah Everyone said when AEW was down, like, oh, this will put the thing up to WWE, so the two companies will be competing for each other, and that's the fans will win. So stop complaining and pointing out that they're doing it because another company is doing it, and start mm. enjoying Start winning as a fan. Because yeah. I think that Wembley is up there in terms of where they're going to do it. Because they didn't say it's coming to the WrestleMania, coming to the UK, they said coming to London. Yeah, so, specifically London. Because if they wanted to do it in the UK, they could easily, if they wanted to go back to Wales, go back to Principality if they wanted to. Because mm-hmm. you saw, you've been in that venue. That's a, 
as surely a big enough venue. And like, it was, even outside of Wembley, there are so many football stadiums and places, arenas they could use uh-huh. for this. It's just a clash at the castle. They didn't have like a grand entrance. It was more just like a, a sort of like a little tunnel for them to come out of, where the main attraction was the, the castle-shaped titantron of the ring. And every seat behind the hard cam area was all taped off. I don't know if it was just to, if it was just production logistics or whatnot, but you still got 62,000 people in that stadium. But I reckon we've only heard a, a show in Wembley before, back in like you know SummerSlam '92, being the best example. And you know who's to say they can't you know put up, put up like a big epic stage with a massive Titantron, and they'll have the seats above and behind it, and you could still uh, have higher attendance than than Principality. You know Wembley is is probably the ideal setting for for Mania because they've already done it at SummerSlam. Yeah, I mean, you got to think Wembley said is out there because of the connection to SummerSlam '92. I mean, they were going on about SummerSlam '92 and Wembley, like all in the lead up to Classic Castle, even though they were nowhere near fucking near the venue. Hey. So, you got to think that's the, from what I'm hearing. There will be WrestleMania 40, which is next year, is going to happen in Philadelphia, and then yeah. supposedly stages ago. So, like, but supposedly they've already got a whole city in mind that they've yet to announce for May 45. Which would be in twenty twenty five, but they are already taking. Forty five. No, no. Mania forty five would be twenty twenty eight. Sorry, twenty nine. Oh yeah, no. Uh, Mania forty in twenty twenty five. Mania forty one. I'm talking about, sir. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard. Um, I think it was like the the Minnesota Vikings arena in Minneapolis for Mania forty one. It's a place where me like so three or four and supposedly has got its own one that'll be in twenty twenty five. But the mm-hmm. two in twenty twenty six is still open for venues. So this is the time where Wembley or wherever mm. decisions can get in there and see if so because apparently Clash of Castle could have been in England, but basically it was a case of the people in Wales, like whoever is the main board behind you know, putting vents in Principality paid them more money. That's why they went to Wales. It was all money. So yeah. this is the time the people behind Wembley who already I'm soon are benefiting from the buzz around AEW coming and surely they themselves yeah. financially from AEW coming. So a WWE Did after that is we can buy, we can beg you an even bigger show, the biggest show in wrestling. <laughs> yeah. you, they're gonna basically give them a fucking blank check to give to bring that over here. Uh, you know what, I think if if the Saudis don't, you know, top it with the their blank check, it certainly is a possibility. But it does make me wonder when the Scottish government's gonna gonna cough up, you know, to bring Clash the next Clash at the Castle to Murrayfield in Edinburgh. Uh, who who knows? I mean, you can do all sorts of shows and you can just call Clash at the Castle because we got fucking right. Scotland's, famous. Scotland's got famous for its castles, practically. You know, Edinburgh Castle probably being the most recognisable, hence why it should be at Murrayfield. Well, we'll cross that bridge we come to, but there's a possibility 24... 2026. Yeah, 2026. <laughs> WrestleMania 42, potentially in London, so if you want to go, start saving now, because, I mean, Dave, not to give too much details away about our trip down to London for All In, but while it's the most I've probably paid for a trip to a wrestling show ever, it's still looking at it in hindsight. It's probably still 
like less expensive than it could have been. Whereas when I said oh, yeah. that, that words to Ross when the possibility was floated by Cena, like I would pay literally every penny I have to go, go to WrestleMania. I don't care if I couldn't buy anything merch-wise when I was there or anything like that and had to eat, pay the bare minimum food-wise while I was there. Just being just, never, yeah. just never off the pot you that week. Because <laughs> money is a big factor which stops some people in the UK, especially from going overseas to WrestleMania. So the possibility of you know those fans who they talk about who travel over and they're the ones that they claim are responsible for all the great chance the night after. But that you're doing it and basically in their backyard, you know, a home game for those fans, if you will. A respectable type as well, if you can't get tickets to go to the stadium show. I know. Mind you, if it's a respectable thing for us, Jesus, I hope they don't do another fucking Saturday or Sunday morning. Rest, uh, uh, oh, because that's another thing. Uh, they do NXT takeover in the, um, the O2 arena. Yeah, that, I assume the O2 will be used um, for... No, sorry, the O2 arena, um, maybe Wembley arena? Maybe, or, you know, like in Red Pro weekend of all, out, all in is doing the Copper Bot, which is like 7,000 or so. Something, a decently mm-hmm. sized venue for an NXT show. Maybe not for Raw Smackdown. Raw Smackdown, like you said, Wembley arena. But like the Copper Box is a venue like for an indie show or for a NXT. Could be a good one. Because it's not just WrestleMania that would come over, that would mean all the shows that go in and around Mania weekend would come mm. to the UK. And you got to hope that if they come over here, we go back to the two-night format as well. We, we stick with that format. Well, I think we have to stick with the two-night format if that's been the case since Mania 36, etc. So uh, just imagine how much tourism and other extra bits and bobs you know, the city could generate in terms of tourism, merch, etc. Like hotels, industries, they'll make a fortune from it. And you'll have special guests coming over, you know, the Hall of Famers, the legends will be there. You'll have WrestleMania access, no doubt. You'll have the official merch store. It's it's not just about, you know, going to see one show over the space of two nights. It's a it's a week long event and experience you know fans just get the best of the best you know meet do meet and greets get autographs get the merch etc it's it's not like you know just um get a ticket for to see to see i don't know a stand-up comedy gig at the hydro or something you know this is this is really getting into the nitty-gritty of it's like a a week-long anime convention for a lot of people just to, to put in comparison but and if it's in a central tourist hub like London is, you know, it's easily accessible from all corners of the world. I mean, this could potentially be a massive, massive revenue generator, not just from the business perspective, but for, you know, England's tourism as a whole. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, they've already, they finally adopted Bulldog a few years ago. you got to think, who, the, who UK themed are they going to for the fucking Hall of Fame headliner? And automatically, as soon as I was saying that, I'm thinking, Regal. If you're coming over oh, for yeah. in the UK, headline that Hall of Fame with William Regal, you cowards. Mm-hmm. Uh, Georgia Smith might make uh, an appearance again. She was there at the, the merch store for Clash at the Castle. Yeah. Anyway, that, well, let's stop fans lying about something. <laughs> I, just, I just fell flat, didn't it? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, 
still fanboying, but something that may or may not happen, even though Triple H's first question he was asked during that first corner was, so WrestleMania in London, what's the, what's the chances? And he just laughed, going, oh, I thought John's here for fit me in an unenviable position. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think he's just basically realised, right, oh, God, I'll, the fans are going to hound me for this, hound me for years on this. I mean, Triple H understands the UK crowd. I mean, he brought NXT to London in 2015. He oh, yeah. was the main like, driving force behind NXT UK. You know, Triple H takes he over. Clash at the Castle to where's? From the time of Clash at the Castle and everything. So he clearly understands. And WWE are, are loving the fact that they get to go to more countries. They got to go to Canada. They're doing more stuff in Saudi and everything. So I'm. Wow. Well, Saudi deal for about five years as well. Yeah, you got to think. Oh, you got to wonder will they add time on? Given that there was like a year and a bit where they couldn't go over because of the pandemic. Mm. You know, they want to get their money's worth out of that one. So the Saudis have a lot of money. They they do, and they do. But we, you got to hope that they would do more shows abroad. And like the fact that they're not seemingly not afraid to not just like make up shows like Classic Castle, like when they used to make do Insurrection and Rebellion back in the day. They're they're wanting to bring major like. Shows that already have name value, like Elimination Chamber in Canada, Mind of the Bank in the UK, potentially WrestleMania, and you know, because like the only other time they've done inter- done vaguely international for WrestleMania is Canada. So actually, them yeah. getting, getting them to travel somewhere for their field for their biggest show of the year would be very interesting. Um, like you said, they've never done a WrestleMania outside of North America. Only twice has it been in Canada, both in the Skydome. But can you imagine how groundbreaking it would be you know, having WrestleMania outside of continental North America and and you got to be a part of that? Mm. I mean, the hard work bears think that way. And I reckon, you, I think much like you said, there will be people who will be spending their life savings just to attend that show. Oh, yeah. I mean... I mean, the day the day tickets go on sale, even the pre-sale is going to be a fucking nightmare. Oh, I reckon people will will bring knives to a, a ticket scrap. <laughs> like but, it's a, a full-on media, well, a full-on media scrum, but it's a, a ticket master tussle, shall we say? But you know, I mentioned Canada before. You know, they done two WrestleManias. It does take me nicely on the Forbidden Door. We'll have a quick discussion about that because it did happen the other week. But we'll briefly talk about it because it uh, came we spent, out. We spent an hour on just Money in the Bank and <laughs> London Media. I mean, it bears talking about. But the, the stuff about Forbidden Door is that, it, again, it's one of the highest, broke another record for highest gate that AEW's had so far. you got to think Wembley will take a big hit to that one as well, you know, mm. given the uh, people who will be going and everything. But also, it is the third highest. Like grossing wrestling event in Canada, like ever behind the aforementioned two WrestleManias that WWE have done. So, mm. basically, another financial success for for Tony Khan's company, and a fairly well received, especially the the two key matches, the Omega Osprey and Okada Danielson match, uh, amongst the show. So, like I say, as somebody who maybe doesn't watch a lot of New Japan, but you are familiar with AEW, Dave, what was your Overall thoughts on this Forbidden Door compared to last year's Forbidden Door? Uh, it's difficult to say, really, because when I think about Forbidden Door, I just think of rematches between AEW talent and New Japan talent. I don't really 
think too much about the storylines involved because if I'm being brutally honest, I don't think AEW's put a coherent long-term storyline together since the since probably like the inner circle and where they went. I think I think he's just sort of Tony Khan's just sort of played it by year and just putting on matches that I think people want to see regardless of you know what's the story behind it. But the what the match that absolutely took me by like completely I can't even get my words out like it just left me mind blown was the Osprey Omega match. I mean looking at Wikipedia it went on for almost forty minutes and Heard people were describing it as like the greatest match they've ever seen. Six stars waiting for Meltzer. Osprey kicks out of the one winged angel at one, which correct me if I'm wrong on this. Has that ever happened before? What? Sorry, what was it? Was what ever happened before, sir? Has anybody kicked out of the one winged angel at a one count? Not at a one count, no, but like the only other two people who probably kick out of it and they made a whole storyline about it is Abushi one time in Japan and Hangman Page and that match that they did. Yeah. And then yeah, the fact that yeah, like Omega got his own move done to him. Um, a tribute to I think it was Masao or Kawada from All Japan when they did the Tiger Driver Night one which basically was Omega getting dropped right on his fucking head. The increased like violence between the two as these matches go because like Kenny brutalized like Osprey in their first match. Like he got one of those thin wooden Japanese tables and just started slapping Osprey's head into it until a hole was started getting made into it. And now this is uh-huh. Osprey right repaying the favor and coming for his pound of flesh, as it were. Oh, it's uh. Yeah, I was. I can't believe this didn't move event in hindsight. Because what a way to have ended the night. You know, a title changes hands. 40 minute main event. You know, if they switched this with um, Brian and Okada, I think it would have been a serious contender for match, like show of the year, no questions asked. But I think the Danielson Okada match suffered because of how good Osprey Omega was. Because, uh, you know, everybody, that's all everybody was talking about. It was like Latin, Triple H and Randy Orton suffering at WrestleMania 25 because the Undertaker-Shawn Michaels match was just that damn good. And it just drained everybody. That's what this reminds me of a little bit. you got to talk about this, the six-star rate, officially making it the highest-rated match in AEW like, history. All the highest-rated singles match, because I'm pretty sure six-stars went to the Young Bucks Highman versus yeah, Omega and Hangman. Like a revolution. So only two six star matches in either history, which is still nothing to be sniffed at. But yeah, given mm. this is the you know, this is the first uh, match that like singles match that's got that rating. Of course, it had Kenny Omega and Will Osprey involved. Yeah, you imagine if they held that in the Tokyo Dome as well. I think Mercer would have just about ripped his cock off. I mean, they did hold them to Tokyo Dome the first time they had it, and that was like more, at least five stars, if not five and a half, I think. And then oh, no. the one. Now there's all sorts of speculation about where the rubber match is going to take place. Some people say it'll happen in Wembley. Some people say it'll happen at Wrestle Kingdom next year, which I wouldn't be mm-hmm. again. But just for sheer selfishness as a fan of New Japan, I know maybe to the casual who going to Wembley, it may not hit his home much. Self? 
Yeah, but for me, from its own selfishness, I'd like to see it in Wembley. Because, you know, you got a case of, like, both of them have connections in Japan. So they had the first match in Japan. Kenny's from Canada. They go to Canada for the second one. And they go to Will's home country for the third one. It just makes sense to me. That makes a lot of sense. And given how heavily closed this match was, I'm, I want to see it in person then. Let's see them go at it again. Oh, yeah. And you got to think, you know, depending on what they want to have closed the show, if they have it, what plans Tony Khan has, this, if they're going to do it in Wembley, you got to again consider it potentially being the main event after, like you said, a lot of people maybe thought it should have main evented here. But the main event mm-hmm. itself, one of the most shocking things about the main event, other than Brian's injury, which he battled through, was that Tony Khan got his hand in that wallet and paid for one night only to have the final countdown. The deal did the deal does say they use it in perpetuity, which means that later, like on demand, like versions of the show can use the you know, kind of it doesn't have to be dubbed over like certain songs in the WWE network, so they can use it in perpetuity. And Tony Khan did say exactly how much he paid, but basically said for the money he spent on this, he could have hired, he could have signed a new wrestler. Did he just say he signed a new wrestler, or did he say like sign a new wrestler? For a twelve-month contract or a six-month contract? Well, I didn't. He didn't say he could, he could assign somebody for a new, like for the money. But I don't imagine it'd be like a main event person, but like at least an upper mid card, or he could sign. So yeah, we're talking about at least tens of thousands. Yeah, I mean, dollars. I think like the reason Europe don't do as much new basically, I think they license a couple of their albums, including the one that features this song to another company, for it, so it can be used in like other places, like other media. And they also they get mm-hmm. fair sh- fair share of like royalty money from that, which so like they don't need to produce new music or tour that often. Like we've got mm. as much money as we'll ever need. So they got to think yeah. it's gonna be at least twice, gonna be at least a fair chunk sh- more expensive than whatever it is they're paying Kansas for carry on my way with some. Just just think, there's millions of people out there struggling to scuffle pennies together or spare change behind their sofa just to put a down payment on a house. Yet, Tony Khan's out there spending tens of thousands just so he could have very popular, very famous song played once for a wrestler's entrance theme for a couple of minutes at most. Just goes to show how much... uh, how much money that guy's got in his back pocket. I mean, it's true. But at the same time, I did shout, I did scream out, it's the final countdown at that moment where he goes to the corner because I am yeah. a Yeah, well, I was, I was singing along to Kingdom during Cody's entrance at Money in the Bank as well. Although I, I had to admit my voice did crack when I did the, the wall moment. I mean, I won't, I'll, I'll have it. It's me and Ross sat in his living room watching... Uh, Impact Plus uh, special, and when Joe Henry comes out, we do the clap along in his entrance theme. Henry's <laughs> <laughs> uh, doing great in TNA at the minute. Yes, uh, but uh, the thing about Daniel Bryan here is he, he managed to get the win over Okada via submission, the first time that Okada's lost via submission since losing a match in the G1 Climax to, in 2015 to Shinsuke Nakamura. So, yes, I remember that was mentioned in, on commentary. Like, he's lost to two. Like two guys that have been signed with WWE by submission. Right. So, okay, so Daniel Bryan, sorry, so Danielson does get injured. I think 
uh, Okada goes for an elbow drop off the top. Brian's arm was not in the right place. So Okada lands on it. And we you seen you might have seen the X-ray going around. Like mm-hmm. one of the bones in his arm, that is a clean fucking break. Oh wow. So it was, a, it, was a, it was a forearm fracture, I think it was. So he, but he still had the strength in his arms to use the label lock to get the win. Mm. Um, he did say in the press conference that it would be six to eight weeks, but according to Bree, it's a lot worse than I previously thought. So uh, mm. maybe don't hold your can... breath seeing Brian at, at all in. Oh, yeah. He's going to miss Wembley, isn't he? You got to think, because since the match, I think he got some injuries after the Ironman match. And so that's why the only match he's really had since between that and Forbidden Door was the Anarchy in the Arena. And that was a multi-man mm. match. I think he was trying to make sure he was as healthy as possible for this dream match of his uh, with Okada. And yet somehow managed to walk away even more for where. Because uh, the minute Blackpool Club's only now got three active members with Moxley, Utah and Claudio. And they teamed with uh, Shota Amino and Kanosuke Takeshita. Against the elite. Yep. Uh, I'll be honest with you, you know, not to go too much in it, but one of my favourite matches of the night is actually the 10-man tag. Yeah. Chaotic it was. It's it's the one that seemed to most further an AEW-centric story because of the stuff between BCC and the elite and the stuff that's come out of it on Dynamite between Moxley and Kingston. Yeah, like, um, Kingston was arguing with... Who was he arguing with? Was it Hangman? I think so, because like, there's a point where like, he saved Moxley from a double super kick at one point. I mean, Moxley are maybe like pals as well, so why were they going up against each other? I don't know, he just... Well, because Claudio's also on the other side and he doesn't like Claudio, so... Oh, that's true, yeah. yeah there you go. Looking, he also had Takesta nearly, with one punch, nearly knocking Ishii right the fuck out at one point. <laughs> uh, I think I saw that spot as well. Did he not like roll right out of the ring for me? Yeah, he, he, he took a powder for a little while, then came back in later on. Aye. Do you think see any of these New Japan guys uh, all in? I mean, they're bringing some New Japan talent over for the Red Pro show the night before, because they've only announced one match for that show, uh, which mm-hmm. is Ray versus Shingo Takagi. So, and that's a match they've done before, and like big tournament finals have done that over the IWGP heavyweight title. So, it's a big match mm-hmm. for Red Pro. And, you know, the current Red Pro champion is a New Japan guy in the Great Okan. So, All right. there, uh, there may be let me, ask, let me ask you a question, actually. If you had to have one person from New Japan Pro Wrestling to compete at All In at Wembley, like anybody from the roster that you, you would most want to see compete the, at the pay-per-view, who would be and who from AEW should they go up against? Oh, now you're asking me. Because, like, I really, again, like I said, would like to see that Osprey or Mega match, but I'm between two, and they're not even Japanese. I'm between Osprey or Zack Sabre Jr. Because mm-hmm. something, because I wanted um, I wanted ZSJ to win uh, in that four way and carry that international belt into Wembley. But if I got to see uh, Zack Sabre Jr. v Orange Cassidy just one on one in Wembley, that would be a hell of a showing. Because there's so many people I like to see just in AEW generally, but yeah, uh, also British as well, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. So I'm saying like, so it's a toss up between the two British guys, weirdly, because of uh, the occasion. 
getting to see a, a rematch with Omega or getting to do getting to see ZSJ. I've never seen either of them live, so this match is Porridge Cassidy defends the international title against ZSJ and we get an Omega Osprey rematch. I really think like the ZSJ one may be the most likely because you know, the G1 will have ended like, a week and a half at least before All In, so they will have some guys available to come over if they, if they want them to. Mm-hmm. Remember, they've got blood and guts to do before they come over from Wembley as well, and I imagine it's going to be a rematch of the Elite and Blackpool Combat Club. Yeah, which is why I was so confident when I predicted uh, the Elite team to win, because that would be one yeah. and one, given see one at Anarchy in the arena, then the big blow-off uh, inside Blood and Guts. And thankfully, out of the, unlike the last two, this one will actually end the feud that it's involved. I'm actually kind of glad that Blood and Guts isn't coming to Wembley, because I think it would have just been such a difficult match to watch from an arena perspective. Oh, yeah, as a state or a stadium perspective, I should say. Yeah, plus the time you set up, set the cage up as well, and also the fact that you'd lose a couple of hundred maybe tickets around the ring side because you got to set up two rings for the whole show. Oh, of course you do. Yeah, it's essentially just a, a war games match with uh, yeah. a roof on the cage. Which, yeah, but like the funny thing about that. Well, War Games, the original WCW War Games had a cage. It's only WWE that's removed the cage. Removed the cage roof. Yeah, WWE removed the cage roof. Like WCW used to have a cage, but thankfully, unlike WCW, AEW made it much higher because there's a very scary one from back in the day where Sid Vicious tries to powerbomb like Brian Pillman, and Brian's like feet get caught in the, the cage, and he like gets dropped on his neck. So, no. It's probably like watching the uh, 25 years of the. Undertaker Mankind Hell in a Cell match and they're commentating on it. Like just hearing it from their perspective, it I think it's just goes to show how scary it actually was from all angles. Like the roof was held together with cable ties, and as soon as they stood on one bit, like each of them broke. And they thought one maybe a couple of choke slams would get them through it, but no first one buff falls through it. And <laughs> how the ring didn't cave in as well is baffling. But um, I'm rambling here now. Yeah. So, but yeah, if you want to hear more in depth talk about uh, Forbidden Door, uh, you're hearing this will be out on Wednesday. This episode schedule also heat today, being Wednesday. Uh, me and Grant are getting together to record East Meets West. Where we'll talk a bit more about Forbidden Door from our perspective of the New Japan talent featured. Uh, we will talk about some shows that happened over the weekend in Japan itself and a big preview of the upcoming G1 tournament, including some feedback from members of the ESSR team uh, giving their insight, including New Japan expert David Campbell. But, uh, but Dave, we do have one or two other things I want to talk about before we go. Another thing in AEW is quite notable is after literally years of talking about it, AEW Fight Forever is finally here. And oh gosh, yeah. It's a lot more simplistic game for like old school fans, basically, because they even got THQ and Nukes involved. And, and putting it together. You can play like Stadium Stampede, you can play apparently the Exploding Barbed Wire Deathmatch. Uh, with, with a better explosion rather than a sparkler finish. Well, actually, well, actually, apparently, there's, I haven't played it myself, but apparently you've got two options where you play it. You can either have 
the actual finish that you should have, or you can take the Revolution 2021 option if you're feeling fun. I must take a look back and laugh on it a little bit. Yeah. If I'm being honest, I've seen... I've seen, a YouTube, I've seen a few YouTube channels play the game so far. Like I watch Dorian Perkins specifically, who are like Leeds-based YouTubers, and they play through all the WWE 2K games with their own storylines, etc. But they've had a go at playing all like, like the Fight Forever. And if I'm being honest, I think graphics-wise, it, it looks like that WWE All-Stars spin-off game, where it was just like... The characters were made to look really silly in some aspect, not quite what they're like in real life. Uh, but at least the moves are sort of carried out as as they should be, albeit without a couple of glitches here and there. So it's not it's not it's not perfect. Decent enough, but I wouldn't spend money on it. It looks like a decent like starting point for them, and I think they are going back to the old way of like not. Usually, when you, when video games don't really care about people looking too much like their character, but and I was like, oh, it's a video game. Who really cares how accurate they look? But then there was just once or twice where I see something like, what the fuck is that? Like I saw like, oh, you take the piss out of the way Owen Hart's rendered. Like, why are they made Owen look more like Bruce? Mm. Uh, also, there's a mode in here there where you can basically have people win multiple titles, and you've seen people. Like basically posting screenshots of giving random wrestlers all the belts, including the FTW belt, which you can you can fight for in this game. Oh man! Supposedly, did did they have uh, did the two gay games include the twenty four seven championship as well? I think they did. I mean, they used to include like the million dollar belt back in the day. So yeah, that's, that's true. Still, actually, I think well, two K twenty two has like the light heavyweight and European titles, so. Oh, yeah, all the classic belts, yeah. I still have, like, some of the older versions of current championships, like the original, like, the undisputed WWE championship, the one that held by Eddie Guerrero, for example, and JBL. Yeah. So, like, they go also, it's a, apparently the story mode is called uh, Road to the Elite, which apparently doesn't mm. have to be complete as you might think it would. Yeah. I mean, Road to the Elite, you know, it's it's almost as if you're trying to join the Elite by the end of the, the storyline. Like, I, I get they're trying to do, like, a twist on Road to WrestleMania and stuff, but it just doesn't have the same ring to it if it's... Because it sounds like you're joining the Elite at the end of the game. Like, why don't you just be called, like, Road to Forbidden Door or something? I mean, I think it's meant to be... I, don't know, I think it's. I think it is meant to be a case of like leaning into like getting to EW, like kind of my rise takes you to like the performance center and, and things like that, and they've been developing that over the the last few mm-hmm. years. I'm, I'm sure I'll play it at some point. I'm not going to rush out to play because I don't. I'm not as much of a gamer as I used to be. So, but I'm, nah, sure. I'm saving my I'm saving my money for Spider Man Two when it comes out. Oh yeah, can't wait for that one either. <laughs> I don't think I have much else to talk about. Uh, EW Collision has been. I finally watched Collision for the first time. I watched. Uh, been watching little bits of it here and there, but then after mining the bank, Ross found a like. I mean, I've just watched the recent episode of uh, Collision, which had like MJF, Ethan Page for the title. You had the the other three first round matches in the men's Owen Hart tournament, and 
you know, it's the first episode of Collision I've seen all the way through, and the first bit of AEW TV I've seen all the way through in a little while. And you know what? I'm, actually, I'm really liking the feel and look of like Collision. You know, I like the weird like pre like show promos like they had like last week before that eight man tag, and then being offset by that old eighty style talking promo offset by Elton John doing the intro song. <laughs> Yeah, Elton John playing Collision. I mean, there he is with the biggest crowd ever at Glastonbury, and then somebody's turned and said, "Hey, listen, can you do the uh, the music for this this American wrestling show, Rumble Twenty Can and stuff?" And and more than he probably just said, "Where do I sign up?" I mean, it's, it's weird. You think him like he'd cost a lot. Kansas would cost a lot. Like cult of personality for CM Punk would cost a lot, but. They get to use this song multiple times. So again, further puts in respect of how much they probably spent, given the fact that they played, they got the rights to the Europe song and are only going to be able to play it once. Like, mm. but, I, like I like the feel of uh, Collision. I don't, there's not really much else to talk about right now. There's a lot of stuff is, from my back is uh, either still to really feel the fallout or we felt it on Raw. With like the return of Brock Lesnar and the brawl that led to that, and it seemingly is going to be Brock Cody three at SummerSlam. Where Cody goes from there, we'll uh, have to wait and see. But I'm really looking forward to SummerSlam in terms of what the matches are going to stack onto because I remember like a couple of years ago, SummerSlam 2021 was in a big stadium when the first big stadium shows after pandemic. They were saying, "Oh, we're going to stack this show." What, what's what's possibly coming for SummerSlam 2023 is what. Feels like what 2021 should have been because I remember being quite disappointed with that SummerSlam. Whereas, you know, I know fucking Puerto Rico's a great area in terms of the US, is it not? But that crowd was fucking a thousand times louder than the average weekly Raw or SmackDown crowd in the US. And so they went to Puerto Rico, they went to Saudi, who still made, who made a lot of noise, they went to the UK, who made a lot of noise. So, you know. I'm hopeful, like, it's going to feel special enough to the US where it's going to SummerSlam, because obviously it's the first big paper you've had since WrestleMania, the whole spring, summer, early summer period, you've dairy's been going other places, so hopefully mm-hmm. they get this big crowd, hopefully they give whatever the stacked card is, like, the, the reaction it deserves. Oh, yeah, I think when it's in Ford Field as well, which is where WrestleMania 23 was, I reckon they'll be fine in terms of, you know, getting a crowd there. And the crowd's going to be electric for the Bloodline feud. It's going to be electric for Cody Brock. And I think there's just so much to look forward to with SummerSlam. I think the WWE's storyline booking from various angles is in very safe hands with Triple H at the minute. You know, you've got the Judgment Day Dissension as well. You'll have uh, Shayna Ronda. But I think all the investment's going to be on the the bloodline feud. I reckon. Yeah, definitely. You think something will happen? Definitely with that, end up maybe not going run favour because the very next pay is called payback. So September. So we'll see what happens there. So that'll do it for Central. The big story was, of course, mind the bikes. We covered that in quite a bit of detail. We're hopefully back usual service resume with a lot more big news, you know, fallout from SmackDown with the Tribal Court. And we further move on to Road to SummerSlam, which is happening August 5th in Detroit. And then a few weeks later, we'll have All In and Wembley. So much stuff to really look forward to. But uh, 
Make sure to follow Eat Sleep Super Street at Super Street. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, even TikTok. Or join our community page, Eat Sleep Super Street community on Facebook. And make sure to follow us, like, rating, review, and show some questions. a big question this week. Oh, yeah. Well, the other guys don't seem to have another uh, for, for a big question, but I've got one. Uh, Dave, I'll ask you this one because I've been uploaded okay. this a while ago, but we haven't had an episode since. Yeah, yeah. We'll, post a, we'll post a big question on the community page and then we encourage our listeners and our, the rest of our team to uh, comment on it and then we can review it next week. I mean, it's a load of questions. So if you have an answer now, then feel free. Yeah. Dave, what has been your favourite match of 2023 so far? Oh, that is a very loaded question. I think, we um, start, I think we should start asking like wrestler show match of the year so far because we're at that halfway. Well, we are, uh, we're halfway through the year now. Yeah, that's true. Um, don't know why, but I'm stuck between a few. But I'm for now. I'm reluctantly going to go with Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte Flair WrestleMania Night One. Like, if you didn't have the Bloodline feud going on. That could easily have main evented the show, given that Ripley was hot with the Royal Rumble win. That match over delivered in so many ways. I think it's both women's best matches in WWE thus far. And I think they just, you know, threw everything to the wall and just delivered the best match they could. It was near fall after near fall, non-stop action, and it took a top-rope finisher to finally put Charlotte down. That was... I remember watching that, and I'm thinking, this is so much better than anybody gave it credit for. So that's the reason why I think it's my preliminary match of the year. I mean, it's a choice. Dave Meltz has been criticised for his comments on women's wrestling, especially in the US, and he called it Potentially one of the best women's matches he's ever seen. So that tells you a bit quality of that. I mean, WrestleMania itself across both nights gave you several candidates for this question. You know, obviously, a normal mention goes to the triple threat for the IC title. Yep. Hell of a match. There's no other options. Mm-hmm. But I, I, need, I need to watch both back to decide which one. But I'm tentatively saying Osprey versus Omega. And I need to watch both back to decide which of the two. I mean, <laughs> if I get to see it live, that automatically be number one. Just for seeing yeah. it live, you know. My, my WWE bias, my WWE bias has to be considered when picking my selection. Unfortunately, so but I mean, I'll, I'm sticking favorite, with it. In terms of favorite WWE matches, it's probably between the Triple Threat or, given recency, potentially that tag main event from Money in the Bank. Bloodlines of the Raw, yeah, that's a contender as well. It won't, surprise me if any, it won't surprise me if anybody picked those as their favourite. Because you know, one had a great storyline and the other one had guys just beating the shit out of each other. Two things I love for and wrestling. Big meat men slapping meat. All sorts of big meat men slapping meat. So there you go. I gave you the social media handle. The community is where the question will be posted. So go on there and answer the question and we'll talk about it next time we have a central. Uh, make sure you like, give us a like, rating, review on your chosen podcast platform, Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, wherever you get your podcast. Take back in the back catalogue of Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retreat, Central episodes, a feature show, Saturday Draft, live every Saturday, East Meets West, as I said, or our, our titular New Japan show, where there will be so much gloating as I, after Favendor, I'm your 13-time reigning defending ESR champion, and my co-host, who is 
promised he will not cash in on me because he's not like David Campbell, weird two people who don't try and kill each other to stab each other in the back. Graham McRobbie, Mr. Or spare change in the tin. You know, the Graham McRobbie winning a suite involving a WWE pay-per-view is not something you see very often, so East Beats West will yeah. be a bullshit history mode. But that is still to come, and so much more wrestling to come, and they'll be discussed next week and going forward, all here on ASR Central, but Till next time, Dave, thank you for filling in for me for this very special episode of Central. Thank you for having me. Thank you all very much for listening. Bye-bye. See you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.